Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, super producer extraordinaire, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Uh, nothing much, Mike, other than the fact that it's the middle of February in Florida, and I'm already starting to sweat. Yeah, I could have told you that was probably coming. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like the heat. I'd much rather live in Alaska than than Hawaii. You can only take so much clothes off. You're the only person I know who did their honeymoon in Alaska, by the way. I feel like that's got to be a record. <laughs> hey, I was, yeah, yeah, that's where Carter was conceived. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was I don't it was know fun. if that counts as being horny on Maine or not because it's your wife, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's close. I, it, should, it should be. You, people should be horny for their wife. Christians, uh, what else we got today? Uh, we got a great show for you guys today. Plexco Burris, Super Bowl champion with the New York Giants, going to join us. Chop it up a little bit. Had a lot of fun talking to him, man. Uh, guy with a lot of stories from that Super Bowl run. Um, a lot of stories about his time in the NFL in general. What it's like to be a part of a Super Bowl parade in a place as crazy as New York City. All great things from him. Very, very fun conversation that you guys are really going to enjoy. He was awesome. He was amazing, Mike. Better than I could ever dreamed of. Uh, one of the things that I thought about after talking to him was... You don't get a lot of lunch pail wide receivers anymore. And he's very much that. Very much so, especially when we get to his stance on the playing surface at the Super Bowl. That's where I was like, generational divide still exists here. This man (laughs) from a different generation. I will say, Brandon, of the next generation of players, the one thing that I am hot about Uh, I found out yesterday, and I am disturbed now. We were out in Arizona all week for Super Bowl week. I saw Aiden Hutchinson, defensive end, rookie for the uh, Detroit Lions, who was one of the guys nominated for Defensive Rookie of the Year. And the whole week I saw him around there, and I was like, okay, cool, like very big in person. I had no idea until I found out yesterday, as the Anime Awards are getting ready to go March 4th live from Japan, that Aiden Hutchinson was an anime guy. He is one of the presenters for the anime awards on March really? 4th. Like, so I looked on down the list, Finn Wolfhard um, from uh, Stranger Things uh, is okay. one of the other presenters. There's a couple other actors, Juju Smith-Schuster, who, well-known anime guy. That one's not very surprising, but Aiden Hutchinson's name was at the top of the list. Now, he comes from a team in the NFC North where Jamal Williams is firmly planted as anime guy on that team. Right. I simply, and this is wrong by me, judged a book by its cover, didn't take him for that. So shame on me. At some point, we are going to track down Aiden and the rest of the NFL players that are into anime because, Brandon, I am fascinated with the generation of young athletes that I believe is the Dragon Ball Z generation that had that as their gateway drug in America to the rest of the anime world. It has been something that's fascinated me for a while, and I'm speaking into existence that we are going to at one point do the feature piece on young NFL players who also have ties to anime. 
I would love that, Mike, but I think obviously, like normal on this podcast, you would need to take the league because there's something about the Mike Daniels level of anime where it's Dragon yes. Ball Z and he's in our generation where it's a hundred level. Where if you with these other kids, kids, I'm talking about the the current football players, Aiden Hutchinson's of the world, they're at 400 level, Mike. And I know you're up there in the 300, 400 level because you work with the anime curriculum, but. I don't know. I, I get lost a little bit past My Hero Academia and Dragon Slayer past seasons one. And that's and that's just this is just scratching the surface. Understandable. Yeah. Understandable completely. So gladly take the lead on that. And also Crunchyroll, listen, if you're looking for other presenters, Ooh. I can be free around March fourth. And I would love to come to Japan and present at the anime awards. So this is me shooting my shot very publicly on this platform. We'll see if it goes anywhere. Brandon, before we get to Plexco Burris and uh, some interesting news out of men's college basketball and our review. We were a couple episodes behind because of Super Bowl week, but we are back with the Last of Us recap and review. Before we get to that, Brandon, we do have NBA All-Star Weekend coming up like we talked about yesterday in Salt Lake City this weekend. And I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to warm up a little bit because this podcast release on Friday, tonight is the NBA Celebrity All-Star Game yes. going on. And since we've got March Madness coming up, and I want to try and figure out a bet that you and I can do together. I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to go and bet on the Celebrity All-Star Game. Each pick a team, and we'll read down the rosters here in a second, but each pick a team that we're tied to. And then on the back end, this is this is my idea. We can scale it if we need to, but I think whoever's team loses in the Celebrity All-Star Game should have to do the Krispy Kreme Challenge. And Mike. should have to videotape the attempt. Okay. So the Krispy Kreme challenge is a dozen donuts in five miles in an hour. They do it every year at NC State. Alyssa Lang, who is a friend of this podcast, actually went and attempted it this year. And I do not believe was able to gut down all dozen donuts. And so because she is in much better shape than us, I am going to say this. Either we can allow for training time, the Batman rule. Yes. Okay. Or we can scale it down and reduce the time, number, and distance to a smaller amount overall how about this mike while we're pontificating if we take mileage off we should add donuts see i man i think donuts is the hardest part okay that's that, then that's a good trade-off you don't think so well i all right you know what we can adjust for each but if you're going to concede in one area then yes you've got to add in another so okay, okay. like if i if i lose and i want to do the five miles and the dozen donuts i can keep it that way if you want to take miles off and add donuts you can do that but it's got to be in accordance with the scale for every half dozen you can take off a mile of that of that five miles is that is that fair well, I, I don't know if that's to, to scale. That seems like a lot of donuts to add if you're going to take off a mile. But if you want to eat 18 donuts, be my guest. We'll figure out the math on the back end. Do okay. you agree to these terms? I do, Mike. But I, I, I do want to take off some distance. I think that's the issue. Like, even if I was strategizing about this, Mike, I, I wouldn't do, like, three donuts every mile. I would probably... Do six and see how hard two miles are. All right. Well, we can strategize about that later, depending on who wins or loses here. Okay. But do you agree to the terms? Yes, yes. I said yes. All right. All right. Um, with that in mind, let's uh, read off what we've got for the Celebrity All-Star Game. Um, so we've got two teams, uh, Team Wade and Team Ryan. Now, Dwayne Wade, obviously, former NBA superstar and now minority owner in the Utah Jazz. Ryan Smith is the Utah Jazz team governor, so he's on the other side of this. And the teams are as follows. We have got Team Wade, which is coached by Giannis Antetokounmpo, assistant coached by Alex Antetokounmpo, and assistant coached by Thanasis Antetokounmpo. So you get the Antetokounmpos and Lindsey Vaughn, three-time Olympic medalist skier, as the coaches on that team. The players are Nikki Jam, singer jesser who's a youtuber simu liu who's the actor and was the star of uh shang chi uh shang chi and the legend of the ten rings the Ooh. marvel uh movie cool. dk metcalf um hassan minaj the comedian janelle monet arika and arika and gumbawale notre dame's very own the yeah. goat uh rapper 21 sevens uh, 21 Boy. Jesus, i can't read 21 savage 
I love that name though. A rapper named Twenty One. Twenty One. What's Twenty One Savage? Is a great not is a great <laughs> knockoff Twenty One Savage name. Uh, Ranveer Singh, who's a Bollywood actor, who's actually become one of the NBA's ambassadors in India. Francis Tiafo, the tennis player, and oh. Alex Toussaint, last year's. 2022 celebrity game MVP and famed Peloton instructor. Can you pause right there? Yeah. There's there's no way I would want another team. And I know we haven't picked them yet. Oh, never mind. I just saw Liz, Lisa Leslie head coaching Team Ryan. Go ahead, finish it off. All right. So, second team we've got. This is Team Ryan. That was Team Wade. Team Ryan is coached by Lisa Leslie, Sparks and WNBA legend, Fire. assistant coached by Fat Joe, Lean back. And assistant coach by Alex Bregman, the Astros' third baseman. The players on this team are country singer Kane Brown, rapper Corday, Diamond DeShields, WNBA star, Calvin Johnson, the Hall of Famer, Marcos Mion, an actor who I have never heard of, uh, The Miz, uh, WWE, or I don't know of WWE, but pro wrestler. Yes, pro wrestler. Uh, Everett Osborne, who's an actor in Chicago Fire, Ozuna, a singer, Albert Pujols, the former MLB All-Star, Guillermo Rodriguez from the Jimmy Kimmel Show, and Cinco Walls, who's the actor who's set to co-star in the White Men Can't Jump remake. So, Brandon, we've got those teams laid out here as follows. Now, do you want to rock, paper, scissors this as this tradition to decide who gets to pick their team first? Yeah, yeah, we can do some paper, rock, scissors. I would love to. Okay, ready? All right, it's rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Are okay. you ready? Yeah. Have it up in the frame. I'm I'm All framed right. up. Here we go. Yeah. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Damn. Yes! Yes! I have the power. Mike, Mike, when he came up with that I went, rock so hard, that I was like, are you going to try to throw rock? I went paper, Brandon went, or I went, excuse me, I went scissors, Brandon went paper, which means I get the number one pick in this one. Now, Brandon, I did way too much research on this. Um, <laughs> Never enough. Looking no back. Such thing. So, looking at uh, Team Ryan, Kane Brown played high school basketball. There was a video put out, I believe, by the Houston Rockets that showed him with a pretty silky J. Mm. I watched Corday go one-on-one on YouTube, look pretty good. Calvin Johnson, I just assume, is good at everything. Yeah. Um, the real thing that makes this team sing. So Everett Osborne from Chicago Fire played college basketball at the University of Texas Rio Grande and actually played about three years of pro basketball in Australia. You've got that along with Cinco Walls, who played college basketball uh, at the University of San Francisco. Uh, so two of your entertainers were former Division I hoops players, which feels like a pretty solid way to go along there. Now, on the other side, we mentioned Alex Toussaint was the MVP last year. Francis Tiafo is best friends with Bradley Beal and cross-trains with the Washington Wizards staff, so yeah, he's got yeah. some of that dog in him. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually went back and looked. Hassan Minaj the comedian around the ball a lot, high energy player. He's another guy that's been in the all-star uh, celebrity game before. Uh, Simu Liu went out and tweeted this into existence last year, sending pictures of him playing in another league. So there's a bunch of, even Jesser, the YouTuber, I watched him go out there. A lot of his trick shots are basketball based. So it's tough on both sides here. I Okay. But where do you want to go? Because now you got me excited about either team when I, really just wanted one of them uh, in the beginning of this. So what I'm looking more at are the weak links. Okay, but that's the thing, though. That's the problem. When it comes to these celebrity games, it's like, remember that uh, giant from Arcade Fire who's just uh, eating everybody every time he does a celebrity game? Like, yep. the, the best players rise to the top, but you're at the liberty of their conditioning. Man. And that's what I worry about. Like, The Miz plays basketball exactly like every white wrestler I've ever seen. And right. really every, like, white contact sport player yeah. I've ever seen. Boxing out. Um, rebounds. Albert Pujols isn't going to be any help. Conditioning's not going to be there. Guillermo's not going to be any help. Uh, Marcus Mion, again, I have no clue. On the other side, like, there's not as many weak links. Like, I've seen Nikki Jam play basketball. I've seen Jesser play basketball. 
I'm assuming DK Metcalf's good at everything because he's jacked. Janelle Monet can do literally anything, so I'm not going to stop believing. You know, right. I'm not going to stop her from believing she's going to be a great basketball player. I'd imagine that's probably the case. Yeah, Kansas City's finest too. You know, they're running on a high right now. Man, Enrique. I mean. I, that's and that's really like the homer play in me is I really want to take the Notre Dame tie in this. So I am going to go with the team coached by the NBA players <sighs> and the team with Notre Dame's very own. So I'm going to go with Team Wade in this matchup, which leaves you with Team Ryan. Which I actually, Brandon, when I was scouting these earlier, I was firmly believing I was going to pick Team Ryan because you had a couple of former D1 Hoopers on the team. I don't feel, I even now, I don't feel great about the decision. I feel like I made a mistake in the name of being a homer. No, no, I think you had, you picked the ballers. I obviously wanted that team because it's the only one that had uh, 21-7s on it. But I think I am a, as someone who grew up in Detroit during that, uh, was it 20, 2005 championship was gentlemen swept the lakers i can see this i can see this five working together the kane brown corday calvin johnson you know whoever else is is around like i can i can see the points being spread out in a, in a real way that and lisa leslie especially like getting these guys ears uh well enough i don't know what fat joe's gonna do alex bregman i don't know if you can you know i don't know if the hitting the trash cans would help in this game but I, I'm interested in I'm interested in my team. Thank you for that. I don't know if they will keep me from running five miles, but here we are. Well, well there's only one way to find out. So uh, we will keep you posted on that. We'll find out just like everybody else on Friday night and see who wins and see what the punishment's going to be on the backside. We will do all the math off air so that you guys don't have to listen to that. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back on the other side of this, we are going to visit with former New York Giants wide receiver and Super Bowl champion Plexco Burris. <laughs> All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S., White Plains, New York. All right, very excited to get to talk to Plexco Burris, uh, Super Bowl champion and co-host of Up On Game with TJ Hushmanzada and LeVar Arrington that you guys can check out, Fox Sports Radio, iHeart Podcast. Uh, Plex, what's going on, man? How you doing? Oh, man, everything's beautiful, man. Uh, thanks for having me today, man. And, uh, you know, just, just taking it easy, man. That's, that's about it. That's what you got to do after Super Bowl week, right? Yeah, man. It, it, it's like the day is Thursday already, and it feels like it's just been an extension of Phoenix all the way up until yesterday is probably the first night I got some quality sleep. So feeling a little better. How's it potting with uh, TJ Guzmanzada and LeVar? I know those guys from over at Fox Sports and it's the whole yeah, game. Yeah, man. We have a great show, man. It comes on every Saturday, you know, 12 noon Eastern Standard Time to 2 p.m. And obviously, so you got you got two offensive guys and myself and, uh, and TJ. And LeVar is always the, you know, the odd ball, odd couple out because, you know, he's a defensive guy. So, you know, they really don't really understand the game of football. All they do is just see ball, go hit ball. So See, Plex, <laughs> thank, thank you for that. I'm a former offensive lineman. Brandon's a D lineman, so I try yeah, and explain man. this to him all the time see on ball, here. ball, go hit ball. You know what I mean? It is more to the game of football than just seek and destroy. 
Hey, sometimes you got to fill shit out. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, that's that's what I'm dealing with around here. So, it, it, no, it's a, it's a great show. I've gotten to listen to you guys a few times, actually. Heard you guys you know, talking about the Super Bowl this last weekend, which I had forgotten for you. Being out in Glendale was a homecoming to a pretty great time for you. Like, how nostalgic is that being back out there at the site of where you had one of your greatest games? Man, it was, it was just surreal just to be back. Uh, That's the first time I've been back to Arizona since, you know, that, that uh, 07 game. And what a what a fashion and, uh, you know, and a style to go back in to where, you know, the, uh, my honest opinion is the greatest Super Bowl to ever be played. And David Tyree that went, uh, went out there last week, did some camps for the kids in the community and different things of that nature. But, uh it, you know, it, it just doesn't seem like it happened 15 years ago, you know, running into some of the guys um, that I played with and some of the guys that I played against in that game. It just doesn't feel like it's been 15 years ago, but it has. And it's just, a, you know, just a daily reminder, you know, when I keep seeing the grades that it actually has been 15 years since that day. So. Good. It it Man. it really it doesn't feel like that for us either. But uh, you know, time time doesn't stop for anybody. With 15 years, do you still have a lot of like memories of that game? I obviously remember the big plays from you, but is there other stuff about that game or that week that still sticks out to you even 15 years later? Yeah, man. Just just the uh, you know you know coming through the tunnel, you know, for that 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 kind of excitement and adrenaline. I don't think it's something that you can recapture. I think it's just a special moment for you to really kind of, you know, waiting in that tunnel, waiting for those flags to come up. You're kind of like keeping the top on the pot because you don't want to just, you know, explode too early. And, um, you know, just, you know, just the whole Star Spangled Banner and just, you know, the physicality of that football game. I remember coming to the sideline, you know, after the first or second, you know, uh, you know, uh, times that we had the ball possessions, just saying, man, this is the most, this is the fastest, most physical football game that I've ever been a part of. And the, the detail in which everybody did their job was just dotting the I's and crossing the T's. You know, uh, when you get into a regular season game, you know, I, I may cheat, I may cheat a curl route, you know, two and a half, three yards. If I had a 15-yard dig route, it was like, I'm stepping on 15. If I got a 12-yard curl, I'm stepping on 12. The corners were playing cover two. They were sinking and jamming at six. I mean, it was just so everybody just did a job to the T. And it was a great atmosphere to be a part of. And, and, you know, going into that last drive, you know, I remember, you know, Richard Seymour and David Deal kind of going at the line of scrimmage and Richard saying, you know, this game is over. And uh, I remember Dill saying, it ain't over yet, baby. And um, two minutes, <laughs> I, I know, it, it was, it, you just remember that sticking out. And um, even at that, that at, even at that point, man, you know, we still believe that we could go down and get the job done, even in whatever fashion that it took. You know, that, that was just some of the guys that we were surrounded with, man, and, and believing in the process the whole entire time and not even second-guessing that we weren't going to win that football game. Well, how's your relationship with Patriots fans been since then? Oh, they don't like me very much. <laughs> they don't like me very much. So I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I went to Boston maybe like maybe four or five years ago. LeVon and myself were hosting a kids camp in Nashua, New Hampshire for uh, Under Armour. And so I chose not to fly. So I took the train from like Penn Station to Boston. I had some work to get done. It's like a three and a half hour plane ride, train ride. And I get to the train station, I get off, and I see the guy, you know, the driver standing with my name on his thing, Plexico Burris. And I walk up to him, hey, man, I'm Plex, you know, nice to meet you. And there's a guy standing right next to him. And I look at him like, who the hell are you? He was like, you got to be pretty damn ballsy to be showing your face in this town. And I'm like, <laughs> what? I'm like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> and at that moment, I was like, yo, these people are still salty. They're still salty. And you, we got to the camp the next day on a Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. And me and LaVar walked through that gate. We probably got 200, 200, 250 kids out there. And there were coaches, high school coaches and youth coaches that would not talk to me during the camp because of the game. And I'm like, you know what? You guys really need to grow. You're supposed to be coaches and mentors to these kids. 
And you don't even, first of all, it's our camp. <laughs> right. I, 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 we, we invited you. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, these people are really still salty. I say, man, never personal. It was just business. But if y'all want to take it that far, you guys can leave. Oh, my God. That's the Michael Jordan. Stop. Get it's help. Cool. Yeah, so uh, they don't like me very much. Oh, man. You think with all the success they had around there in New England, that's how you know you did something truly incredible and how deeply you wounded them? Because yeah. they got all those trophies there, and yeah. they're worried about the one that you took from them. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's, you got seven. You got six. Yeah. I mean. Can I get one? Please. Exactly. Let that let that man have his trophy. Uh, yeah, I, I do want to go back to the, the moment when you got the trophy. What do you remember about the end of that game? Because I think so many people will never get to that point where they're covered in the confetti of their team's colors. What was that like? Man, just a, just a surreal moment, you know, feeling that confetti and being able to, you know, hold a trophy and, and just really at that point, man, you, you don't even feel your feet hit the ground. It's just because everything happens so fast is that, you know, it's, it's all about the journey, you know, um, getting to that destination, man. And it, when, when it, everything hit, the first thing came to my mind was the first day that I ever stepped on a football field at seven years old. And it was just like, like Pop Warner, the you know, kid, the youth, to junior high, to, to high school, to college, and like, man, this is what I set out to do when I was, you know, uh, you know, ten years old, and to, to have that dream come to man, it, it, it's humbling, you know, it, it it really is because, you know, a lot of people don't get to experience it, and you know, everything that you fought for. You know, as a kid, growing up in circumstances and fighting through adversity and just getting through all of those things just for that moment, it's, uh, it's humbling, man. It really is. Now, that's a powerful moment there, and I think we see you know, so much of the emotion around this game. Nick Sirianni was in tears before the game. We saw the Kelsey brothers both sharing a really emotional moment with their mom, and that's certainly great stuff. I also do want to talk about the fun, though, because we're two days yeah. remo removed from the parade day after, so... What's it like being out in a victory parade after the Super Bowl? We see a bunch of guys pouring beers all over themselves and riding on the top yeah. of these buses, man. What was that experience like? I mean, I think we started on like first and Broadway and went all the way down to like 76, 76 Street. I don't think nobody in the New York City went to work that day. It was like three and a half million people from first oh, 76 man. hanging out outside of buildings and skyscrapers. I mean, it was so many people on the street that the, the, the these uh, trucks and buses barely had enough room to go down the street. We're like, get out of the way, get out of the way. And it was just, you, you just remember the crowd of people and how, you know, uh, enthusiastic and how genuine, you know, that moment was. I, I don't think we really understood the magnitude of, the, of, of what we had done. Um, so we ended up flying back Monday morning back to Newark. And we get on the bus and we get on the turnpike going north and we look across the uh, street on 95 South and the traffic is stopped on the turnpike and people are jumping up and down on top of their cars. And this is the turnpike. And we're like, oh my gosh. This is New York. And this is New York. We didn't understand it. We was like, oh my goodness. And we got over to the facility and the fans, I was in the, I was in the Escalade, and they rocked my truck back and forth so hard. I was like, "No, you guys are gonna flip my truck over." <laughs> it, it was like pure pandemonium. We got back to the stadium, and you thought it was a, a, a NFC Championship game because people were tailgating and partying like there was going to be a game that day. It, it was absolutely bananas. Oh, my God. To think about New York City responding that way. Because right. I feel like like for some people, New York doesn't always get the credit for being as raucous as like Philadelphia, where they were greasing oh. the poles before this game. But <laughs> it sounds like New York lives up to the billing, man. They do, man. It, it was it was an unreal scenery, man. It really was. To understand how much traffic and, you know, how, how, things, how fast things move in the city. 
and to see that turnpike at a standstill and people out on the interstate on top of their car, we was like, wow. We didn't understand it until that point of how big uh, what we had just done. It's it's incredible to think about that. And again, given the opponent that you played against, right. you know, that 07 Patriots team and what they represented, like what's it like for you now? Because we're coming off this most recent Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes has now really started his ascent into some pretty rare air. And you've already got people that want to start saying, well, can he go out here and potentially eclipse Tom Brady? Like as someone that played against maybe the best version of Tom Brady that we ever saw. What do you see when you see Patrick Mahomes right now? Do you see a guy that's capable of that? He's capable of it. I think it's going to come down to longevity, obviously. I mean, you guys know how this game goes. And, you know, everybody asks me who I think is the best player that I've ever seen. It, it, it's been Tom Brady. I've been playing against a guy since I was 18 when he was University of Michigan all the way up, you know, to the Super Bowl. And what he has been able to do and accomplish in his illustrious legacy career, whatever you want to call it, you, you look at the things that he's done and you say that will never happen again. And now we have a young guy like Patrick Mahomes kind of, you know, sending up that ladder, getting better and better. I don't think it's going to be his last Super Bowl. I think he's going to continue to get better and evolve and mature as a quarterback. I think now, you know, moving forward for him, it's all about staying healthy and just sur- surrounding him with supreme talent. So we can continue to see him grow, which I think uh, they will do knowing Andy Reid, knowing exactly what they need because they know one thing is for, is for sure. They don't need another quarterback. So <laughs> you got a franchise staple. Uh, he's not leaving. He's a lifer. And just build around him. Try to try to keep him healthy. And uh, if there's anyone that can get close to Tom or even break some of his records or whatever, some of the things that he's been able to do, it will be Patrick Mahomes. Well, speaking of Patrick Mahomes and what he had to do changing his game with the wide receiver losing Tariq Hill, can you speak to what he had to do as a quarterback to adjust to this new crop of wide receivers he had this year? You know what? Uh, When I first heard the move, I said to myself, I said, you have to be absolutely crazy to get rid of a guy like a Tariq Hill because understanding the offense, he, he, he runs through your zone, takes the top off the secondary, and now you got the guys like Kelsey and tight ends and running backs that can work underneath on these level routes, crossing routes, on which Andy Reid loves to do. His game is like an extended running game because the, short, the passes are so short to get the ball into the guys' hands and they can make moves. But it, it, it actually helped him evolve and get better and fa- a lot faster than, than what we thought because now – they don't have that one guy that, you know, that they can concentrate on. So now you have to guard everybody. You have to guard Juju. You have to guard MVS. And I'm saying to myself, how in the hell do you let Travis Kelsey catch 10 balls in the first quarter and he's one of the greatest tight ends of, of all time? So him and Patrick Mahomes have a, a, a undeniable rapport. Andy Reid keeps continuing to put them, put them in situations where they can still be elite and be effective. But as far as Tyreek Hill leaving – I can just see them adding some more pieces offensively at the wide receiver position so he can continue to mature and get better. And um, you just say to yourself, you know, how good can this guy be? And I think we're going to find out soon. Uh, It's incredible, all this conversation rightly around Pat and the offense, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention some pretty big similarities between this Super Bowl and yours on the defensive side for Kansas City because we all talked all week about the Eagles offense and their O-line and how it was going to be such a tall task for this Kansas City defense coordinated by Steve Spagnuolo, who was also the D coordinator the year you guys won going up against that all-time 07 Patriots offense. So why is Spags the guy that seems so ready for this moment? Why is he so able to meet that challenge? Because it's just one game. And I think he understands the complexity of that. You know, you don't have, you know, uh, a, a, a lot of things to look at. I think that he plays to the weakness of whatever that offense may be doing well, that, that they don't do well, and play to the weakness and make them make adjustments. Spags adjusts on the fly. He, he really uh, he adjusts down in and down out playing and play out. And his motto you know, for the Super Bowls that he's been able to win defensively is to be able to get pressure on the quarterback without blitzing. 
And I think if you can get quarter, if you can get pressure on the quarterback up the middle and be able to keep a guy like Jalen Hurts in the pocket, and I, and I still think he had a phenomenal football game, but just getting pressure on him at those plays when they need pressure, those are the plays that separate the champions, you know, from the losers. And I think he understands that. He doesn't want to blitz and put his corners in situations to where, you know, uh, they're not playing at their best. And I think that's the main thing that he's been able to do is to get pressure without blitzing. For him, just in general, too, as a football mind, we see them do so many varied things there. How much does that help an offensive player to have a guy like Spags on staff? How much does it help Patrick Mahomes? How much did it help you going up against him every day? Man, let me tell you, um, I learned so much from Spags, man. It's it's unbelievable. Um, He he would do things to me in practice to where – you just really had to you had to focus so much on I would be playing the exposition and I it would be so complex for me to read the coverages to the point to where I would read the defenses from the backside safety all the way to the corner, trying to figure out you know what he has cooking up, you know, over there on the other side and you know, being in a slot formation, you know, once you get you would be in man coverage for the first five or six yards, and then they would pass you off with somebody else, and they would turn in the zone. And if you don't understand those things, playing against it, playing against his defense, um, you're going to struggle. And I think that's one of the one of the things he does extremely well is really, you know, disguising the defense in man and zone. You have a guy running with you for five or six yards, and then he drops off into his zone, and somebody else picks you up. And I just, I, I, I just be like, Spag, I see what you're doing to me. When I get up, feel you. You 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 running man and then you passing on somebody else. He's like, yeah, you're figuring it out. Huh? I said, yeah. So we, we had a few things that we could get uh, going with him, you know, uh, offensive playing against him. But he taught me so much about defenses and understanding from a wide receiver standpoint what a wide nine is, uh, what to expect. I get a wide nine. I get a free safety and a and a wheel five or six yards from the line of scrimmage and understanding. The, uh, the protections and what routes worked against those defenses. Those are some of the things that he taught me while I was playing with. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It, just hearing you talk about running routes, I have to ask this question about the Super Bowl that we just went through. What do you think was the biggest factor between the grass and the officiating? Like, like have you been in a game where you just couldn't get your footing and that team changed everything you were able to do? Um, I have. I've, I've been in games where – only, I, I would say, for some reason in San Francisco, you know, you, you play in that that temperature where it's going from day to night, and as the temperature cools, the grass gets a little slick on top, and I would always have to change my shoes. And one thing I can't understand, these do guys wear seven studs anymore? Are they extinct? I mean, I'm not sure. Everybody's wearing like these Jaylen. little cute little cleats. Yo, put on some seven studs and go out there and play football. So I don't understand why the how the grass is all of a sudden has become a factor over the last five years. Is that guys are getting so used to playing on turf and being so quick at the line of scrimmage, and all they think about when they put their foot in the ground is is an automatic acceleration. And I look back at the game where Justin Jefferson was playing against the Green Bay Packers, and all they were saying, "Oh, he hasn't played on a on a grass field in ten weeks." Who cares? It's football. You learn how to play on each surface. The, the grass—I don't want to hear nothing about the grass is the factor. Put on some cleats, learn to play fast, and learn to play under control, and be able to go out and execute. On a football field, if it's grass or turf, I'm tired of hearing about it. Learn how to play the game. I think that was one of the most refreshing things I heard the Kelsey brothers, Jason and Travis, both talking on their podcast after this week. And they said the same thing. Jason was like, I love having to figure out, all right, What's the surface like today? How do I adjust to that and make sure that I'm going to get the best out of it? Like, I'll get a, I'll get whatever studs I need in there. I'll get whatever cleats I need in there. And then I'll adjust my game accordingly. He said that's kind of what differentiates us from indoor sports like basketball or sports where you've got one particular playing service. So he said he actually kind of loves that mental challenge of how do I get myself ready for that specific element of the game each and every week. Right. And, and I played in Pittsburgh. 
at in, in the early 2000s, there was no worse grass surface in the National Football League. So, I mean, you wore seven studs from the first play of the game until the end of the game, and you had blisters on the bottom of your feet because you just knew that you had to wear that shoe or else you, you might as well put on a pair of flip-flops and go out and try to play football, and that's not going to happen. So th- th- this whole turf thing, I, I just don't understand how, why these, how these young players can't, you know, uh, get a grasp of it. People are complaining about it, playing on grass. We love to play on grass. I would rather play on grass any day of the week in turf, no matter what the conditions are, because growing up, that is what I played on. We didn't have turf fields and you know, all of those things growing up. So just, you know what, stop complaining and just learn how to play on grass, period. It is amazing after a year where we did hear a lot of players echo what you mentioned. We heard a ton of guys coming out, heads of the NFLPA saying they wanted to see more stadiums go back to grass instead of the turf because of all the injuries they'd seen on that, that now in the Super Bowl, the grass field ends up becoming the story. It's it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, Plax, you've been so great with your time here, man. We don't want to take up too much longer, but we're getting out of regular football season now. We are getting into draft season, and... I'm always fascinated by the journey of people at all angles of the draft. You ended up being a first-round draft pick, so yours is a lot different than mine as an undrafted free agent. So as guys are getting ready to embark on this next leg of their football journey, the, high, the college guys getting ready to go to the NFL, what's like the thing that you remember most about that process or the advice that you give to young guys as they're getting ready to go through what you did so many years ago? Oh, man, when I was, you know, leaving college, going into the draft, you know, just understanding, just knowing that, you know, it was a dream that I wanted to accomplish. And not understanding that, gentlemen, this is a business. This is a, this is a performance-driven business. We don't, they don't, we don't care how much you like you, how cute you think you look, or how good you are. It's a performance-driven business. It is a business Conduct yourself that way. Take care of your bodies because that is that is how you, you have success. You stay on the football field and understand the process of what you're embarking upon. Get yourself in the best possible shape to make that step and go to the next level. And, uh, you know, sadly enough, everybody's not going to make it. But, you know, you just you got to fight, man. It's, it's competitive, you know. If it, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it and just, you know, put everything you got into it because, you know, it's, it's the pinnacle of, of, of sports and, and what you want to do and what you want to accomplish. And I think you have to uh, you know, approach it that way from, a, you know, from a commitment standpoint. And uh, you know what? Just go after it. Was there a moment you mentioned that this is a business? Was there a moment that stood out to you where you realized as a college guy making that transition, oh, this is different than what I've been dealing with before? Yeah, so uh, you know, I went to Baltimore. I went to uh, you know, Cincinnati. They had the fourth and fifth pick, and they were like, oh, we're going to take you the fourth pick, and they ended up taking Peter Ward. And then so you know, sitting down with Ozzie Smith, I'm saying, oh, my goodness, I'm going to Baltimore. I'm going to be close to home, and I took Jamal Lewis. And I'm like, yo, what the hell is going on? Why are these people just sitting me down and just, like, just lying to my face? Like, well, <laughs> am I not good enough? And I ended up in Pittsburgh and just getting there, like my first day, the day after, they basically gave me like this right here. It was like, it was like here. And I was like, and they, <laughs> they walked me into a meeting, <laughs> sat me down in the chair and they started putting the offense on the board. And I just met everybody along the way during the day. And I was like, yeah, this is a real business. <laughs> yeah, a little, little bit different seeing those NFL playbooks get dropped yeah. into your lap all of a sudden. Yeah. And back then, say it wasn't any iPad or anything. You got the no. whole physical binder no. of paper. No. No, no iPads. Oh, my God. It's incredible. That's what everyone's getting ready to embark on right now. It, it's an exciting time, man. But, uh, Plaxico, this has been awesome. We appreciate you coming here and spending some time with us catching up. Uh, thanks so much. Excited to you know see and hear more from you in the media side of things, man. And I uh, hope yeah. everything continues to go well. All right, cool. All right, I appreciate you guys, man. You guys take it easy. Okay, appreciate Thank it. Thank you. I want to say before before, before I let you, we let you go, though, you helped me in my career. Back in the day at Fox, I was 25 years old. Mm-hmm. 
and I was walking around, you were doing some hosting stuff, and I had to get you a salad, about $17 from the hot bar. Uh-huh. I went and talked to my boss. I was like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to keep buying these athletes these salads. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. They was like, oh, we'll get you a corporate card. Changed my life. Changed my life. So I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Hey, next time I come to the studio, man, lunch is on you. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Oh, that's funny. All right, man, I appreciate you guys, man. You guys have a good one. Growing up playing sports, I learned really quickly that how you do the little things is how you're going to do everything. That's why coaches always harped on us about having our hand behind the line on sprints or picking up our locker because that was going to directly translate to critical moments on the field, making sure we're lined up right, taking the right steps so we can go out there and execute and win ball games. Small actions can have big benefits, just like how taking care of your gut can support your entire body's health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is going to benefit your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I just got my welcome kit and started taking Seed's DSO-1 myself and I'm loving it. I love the convenience of being able to have it in the cabinet with my other supplements because you don't need to worry about refrigerating it and I love the free travel vial that comes along with it. I'm constantly on the road and so being able to take DSO-1 with me on the go is huge for my lifestyle here. I'll tell you what else I love is the fact that it's backed by science. DSO-1 was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome and with new clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals, Seed's probiotic Research, development, and innovation programs make DSO-1 a product you can trust. And it's great in convenience, too. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when they're used consistently, just like any other routine health habit. And Seed subscription service is going to easily help build DSO-1 into your routine, again, with no refrigeration required. So, trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash gojo and use code 25gojo to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo, code 25gojo. All right, Brandon, do you know what time it is? I do, Mike, but I wanted to give the people uh, their daily Black History Month (laughs) fact of the day. And today on February 17th, 1891, Albert Richardson patents the butter turn, or butter, excuse me, butter churn from Frankfurt, Michigan, patent to design highly effective and inexpensive butter churn. Big moment for black history. Okay, now, you got got something? (laughs) No, shout out to butter. (laughs) And them churners. Um, Okay. Yes, I know what time it is, Mike. And the music's being funky, so I might have to acapella this one. Mm. I think I know what's happening. What? And they don't have a clue. Who? They'll fall in love, and here's the bottom line. Our trio's down to two. Oh, the sweet caress of twilight. There's magic everywhere. And with all this romantic atmosphere, disasters in the air. Can you this, that, and the third, the peace the evening brings? A world for in perfect harmony with all its living things. Can you this, that, and the third? It's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate how fully <laughs> committed to memory that song is for you. Oh, I, I, I did. So many things to tell her. But how to make her see the truth about my past? Impossible. She turned away from me. He's holding ah. back. He's hiding from what I can't decide. Why won't he be the king? I know he is the king I see inside. Okay, I'm done. Uh, while I've said the plot of that movie seems flatter the more I've gotten older, the songs still bang. Oh, 
Yeah, and they tell the story. That's the problem. <laughs> if you enjoyed that as much as I did, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. Tell Brandon what a great job he has done belting out these Disney tunes. Brandon, let's get to this. Um, the Celtics went ahead and made it official. They announced Thursday morning that Joe Missoula has been officially named the team's 19th head coach, replacing Ime Udoka, and also is going to receive a contract extension, which makes an overwhelming amount of sense considering they have the best record in the they are the number one seed in the eastern conference i believe they have the best record in the eastern conference and maybe the nba i should have checked that before this but at the very least brandon they look like one of the prohibitive favorites to go and lift the larry o'brien later this year and the coach that after all of the strife they went through in the preseason managed to steady this ship to the point that now you would hardly have known that anything had changed for them this offseason not surprised in the least that this is the end result yeah, I, I I tried to save a note on this because I thought it was uh, so special, but obviously I can't find it. Uh, but the record that he has as a rookie head coach is the best starting record for any rookie head coach in the last fifty years in the NBA. Wow. Yeah, they're forty-two and seventeen right now, which is the NBA's best record. Um, They've got the third best offensive rating, the fourth best defensive rating in the NBA right now. They're the only team top five in both categories. They've been as complete as any team in basketball. And the duo of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum looks like the most potent the NBA has right now. Yes, but it also feels silly to to like laud this team that was in the Eastern Conference Finals last year and look like the better team for the majority of the of the you know series up until some pivotal games. No, I'm sure, and I get it, but. Again, knowing how chaotic this was before the season and how public all that was, you know, especially getting ready for a football season, you can internalize a lot of that stuff. And what happens in the preseason sets a foundation. And so the fact that they were able to kind of overcome all of that noise. Missoula also 34 years old, which makes me feel like shit. Accomplishing Ooh. that much at basically our age is not cute. No, um, too much. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Let's get to that, Brandon, because uh, we got college hoops and more news out of college hoops. Stop me if you've heard this headline before this season. Tennessee beat Alabama. The 10th-ranked ra- Tennessee Vols <laughs> defeated number one-ranked Alabama 68-59 to on Wednesday. They were the latest number one team to go down. There have now been eight losses by the number one-ranked team in this season, tying the 1993-94 season for the most in men's college basketball history. That's been split amongst four teams. UNC, Houston, Purdue, and Alabama have all spent time at number one this season. Obviously, North Carolina's was at the beginning. They have been one of the most disappointing preseason number ones in recent basketball history or ever. But, uh, yeah, uh, they continue to fall here. I don't know if you can call this the third Saturday in October or if it has a clever name when they play in basketball, but I did see the Tennessee Vols basketball te- uh, men's basketball Twitter account tweet out, just like football, question mark. Hey, they got something there, Mike. And I would say my, one of my best friends growing up, Eric Gerard, big Tennessee Vols fan, he's been shoving Tennessee Vols basketball takes down my throat for the last 20 years of our lives to the point where I became a big Grant Williams fan before he actually got drafted to, to the uh, Boston Boston Celtics. Uh, so they deserve it. They're, they're a good team. It's one of those teams when you get the bracket, they're like, eh, like, that team, like, they get hot from three. They defend well. Like, they're just a good basketball team. 
it's just weird seeing multiple SEC teams being good. Like, I was so used to, for my life, having it just be Kentucky and the Pips. And the fact that Alabama, honestly, this is balance in the universe. Alabama getting to both be the football powerhouse of our adult lifetime and then have a number one ranked basketball team with what Nate Oates has started to build in the last few years, it felt unfair. So this feels a bit like balancing the scales. Alabama will have a chance. I think they do play Georgia before the next round of rankings come out. So Houston lurking right there in the right there in the wings at number two it all just makes the prospect of filling out a bracket coming up here soon even more daunting on the men's side so we'll wait and see how that shakes out but uh go vols i guess uh brandon let's get to the third uh we have been recapping and digesting the last of us the hbo series uh that is um a dramatic remake of the famed video game the beloved video game franchise the last of us we are now five episodes in we took super bowl week off because we were busy out there there had been two episodes since then which actually episodes four and five worked in tandem so full spoiler alert ahead so brandon doesn't have to say it 40 times during this conversation but there will be spoilers if you are not currently up to date on the last of us to this point in the season make sure you skip ahead from this make sure you go right to the end this can be the end of your podcast experience but we're going to talk pretty candidly about this and brandon coming off episode three that bill and frank episode nick offerman everyone's favorite love story of this season and quite frankly one of the best episodes of television of all time that sort of departed from the main characters of this series i thought episodes four and five worked in tandem the storyline was very much contained between these two episodes for the area we're in right now as joel and ellie are on the road trying to get to wyoming to find his brother who we get some background on in this fourth episode ellie starts grilling joel in the car about this and they get rerouted because of a blockage on the highway to kansas city which is kind of a filming thing they had to change up in the game it's actually pittsburgh but that is where they encounter a band of people who had overthrown the pittsburgh quarantine zone and quote unquote liberated the area but it's the old Uh. trope where now they are led by what is seen as equally a vengeful dictator in a woman named kathleen um and you get joel and ellie yeah joel and ellie get ambushed in town They end up having to go on foot and try and evade their captors in here. And Brandon, all in all, with these two episodes, I'd say this is really where we cement the bond between Joel and Ellie, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It it was, it's now obviously running into uh, Sam and what's his? Henry. Henry. Them having a, you know, it seemed like a father-son relationship and then we find out that they're brothers and you know there's that level of protection that still a lot of people have especially when siblings are that separate in age um and the decisions that he made to keep him alive mike i thought the dialogue was some of the best that i've seen uh from the show in these and obviously i don't know if it's, it's just people more people communicating with each other or more or higher stakes but i guess it's the dialogue from the the ancillary characters that does it for me like Catherine is telling us everything that's going to happen a lot of foreshadowing a lot of cinematography foreshadowing with like i don't know if you you didn't watch the sopranos but every time there's like red in a shot like that person is probably going to die and we have a lot of like red jackets going on like there's a there's a lot of motifs that lead to what they said in i love whoever said it in our podcast it's called marveling now waiting to the end of hbo episodes to see the behind the scenes um that this is the most infected people they've had on on uh on set at one point in time. Yeah, so we get kind of the full gamut here because you're right, in the last few episodes, we have been dealing more with the people. Joel even indicates as much when him and Ellie get off the highway to sleep in the woods, saying no, we're doing this. There aren't infected out in the woods. We're doing this because there are people out there who will do worse things to us than just turn us into an army of the infected. And so you start to get that understanding as in most post-apocalyptic thrillers, 
it's about the people. It is about how societies and groups of people form together and what they do as the new world order kind of shakes up. But you also get Ellie starting to rib Joel a little bit. You get her book of punny jokes. That's also a holdover from the video game. And you kind of see his walls break down at the end of episode four. You get the joke about diarrhea. Did you hear that diarrhea is hereditary? It runs in your genes where Joel finally lets down his guard where earlier in the episode, he had called her cargo. And I thought, one of the sweetest moments in the series so far ironically came after Joel is being attacked by the bandits that um, spiked their car and tried mm-hmm. to ambush them. And he's being choked out on the ground. And Ellie with the gun that she stole from Bill and Frank's shoots him and paralyzes the guy that was trying to take out Joel with the gun that Joel didn't know she had. Now, apparently in the video game, he gets real pissed off about this has trouble kind of dealing with that in the show. We get what I think was the most authentically acted moment because I don't know if you experienced this as a kid. Joel goes over to Ellie, who he recognizes is going through a lot right now. He talks about, hey, I remember what it was like the first time I had to hurt someone. And he goes over and he teaches her how to hold the gun. And I don't know if you caught this, but Ellie lets out a little giggle while he's doing it. And it struck such a chord with me because I remember as a little kid... Anytime my parents, especially my dad, were teaching me something that I deemed adult, like they were showing me how to do a thing that indicated, hey, we're going to kind of show you the next step in in you growing up. You're so excited about it while you're trying to be very serious because you want to be taken seriously. You're young and you kind of want to be an adult. But I would always kind of let out that same bit of like nervous laughter because you're so excited about that moment. And for Ellie, who every step along the way has kind of been excited about the potential for all this violence, I just thought that was a really authentic kid moment in a couple of episodes where you see her bond with Sam, you see her kind of getting to be a kid again for a little bit. That is sort of the reminder that she still knew it all of this. And I thought that just jumped off the screen as something really, really beautiful. Yes, but also uh, in a juxtaposition to that, because we don't get the chance to see her be a kid up until this point, you see her make kid decisions, like her trying to yeah. heal Sam overnight because that that's her new buddy that she's like, I, I, I don't, I, and also the big reveal of her saying that her biggest fear is dying alone or being alone, ending up alone, yeah. right? Like that, that hits a, a, in a lot of chords, but the way Sam had to die was based off of bad decisions that she makes. And I thought I'm, I'm a, as someone who is a novice to the video game, I'm a little bit worried about the foreshadowing of just how much Ellie is going to get. What am I, what's his name? The main guy. Joel. Pedro. Joel. Yeah. Joel. Get Joel in trouble just by making a, a kid mistake. Well, and and I think that is clearly indicated, right? Like, and they talk about this in the after scenes. This is a mirror being held up to Joel and Ellie now. Joel's in it. He he said in episode four, she was cargo. And by the time they escape, that big horde of on-screen infected that we get when they escape town with Sam and Henry, you have that reckoning. We get the bloater. We get some of the actual monsters that are a part of this back on screen for the first time in a while, I think since episode two. And you have that big moment. And then it's followed up with, yes, that very human moment where there's damage here. When you take on other people and you've got people to look after, which Joel is doing because that's what he was told to do by bill by tess all those people there's the potential for things to go wrong and you saw with sam and henry like henry clearly not as capable as joe clearly no. not as ready for this he was a fedra they called him a um a, sn- a rat collab- a collaborator a collaborator a, yes a nice word for a snitch yes, and yes. he snitched everything in this show right now is in the name of family he snitched to get leukemia medicine for sam who was sick he did what it took for him to survive, which cost Kathleen her brother. So we see this very clear theme of it's about family. Joel highlights that in episode four when they're in the car. And now by the end, we see Ellie's become his family. And the way she operates, to your point, absolutely means things can go wrong because now it's not just Joel operating with his abilities. It's him having to constantly do what he did during the firefight and be accountable for someone else in a way he very naturally stepped into, but absolutely create some problems i'm sure from here on out yeah I, I think the the use of when truth is revealed is is kind of very fun they do that a lot within this episode um obviously didn't finding out that henry 
he said that the most violent I've been is holding an empty gun at you. And then he's like, oh, well, the reason I'm the most wanted man is because I, I killed a man to, for some medicine. Um, I just, I feel like the video game aspects, like naming it a clicker, the bloater type of thing. Like, I feel like that is starting to take over a little bit. And I'm, I don't know how much I'm enjoying it because everything feels like a an infected. Like this level of knowledge of the infected and and like this like almanac of of who's what and what is when and getting excited like Ellie getting excited to see the newest monster. Like oh I didn't oh is that a clicker? Like I think I need a little bit more background and maybe it'll come. But like I it, it feels obviously they've had 20 years of experience in this, so it's not just you know video game life. Like this is what the the folklore around being alive or being not infected in in this world, but uh, I, I'm I feel I feel a little bit on the outside with that. Yeah, and I think they'll they'll keep explaining that more and more as we go here. To the point you made, I think we really have only seen them on screen now a couple of times, and we've gotten little explainers as they go, which is a very real video game trope. But I think as we go along, it's sort of like in Game of Thrones where. You've got the ever-present White Walkers that are a reminder that while all these problems are going on amongst the you know the living, you've got this other group that is always there, and that was kind of what they were reminded of. They had driven that group below town, and they came running out the minute we thought we were getting to the head of this human conflict. So it's nice to be reminded the stakes of the game, but I think I also just enjoyed that now we've cemented the bond. We saw a very clear bond happen right. within the body of one episode in episode three, but now Joel and Ellie have taken center stage you've seen Joel soften a little bit but you also saw like Ellie had the loss of innocence happen and Joel kind of tiptoed around it but by the end of episode five when they're digging graves Ellie's the one saying it's time to go so she has now hit that point and seems like she has changed from here on out and it seems like Joel's changed in the other way where he realizes man now and for him who carries that guilt of not being able to save Tess and not loving Tess enough while he was alive I'd imagine that only heightens the feeling that he's got right now so I'm pumped about where we're going right now this feels like we finally assembled all the pieces in a way that's going to let this start to go and play out the way that the main plot of the show is supposed to I agree Mike uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it but also want to the next review we have have the argument that we had before Plexico joined us for this episode where where we are arguing about if this is a zombie show or not. Yeah, we can definitely get to that because I saw some of the cinematographers and people around the show said that the Z word was banned on set and there's a stigma associated that with that that I don't agree with that you do. So we will put our gloves down and save that for another day as we've got enough conflict on this show heading into the all-star celebrity game coming up tonight. If you enjoyed the conflict of this show, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, go Joe, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating, leave us a review and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well under the Gojo of Mike Gold Jr. playlist. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. Boom. Money in the bank.